Welcome to PSQH the podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. On this episode, I talk to Dr. Alvaro Pasquale-Leon, Professor of Neurology at Harvard Medical School and Chief Medical Officer of Linus Health, about his new research into cognitive assessment. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Dr. Alvaro Pasquale-Leon, Professor of Neurology at Harvard Medical School and Chief Medical Officer of Linus Health, to talk about his new research about cognitive assessment. Uh, welcome, Dr. Pasquale-Leon. Hi, how are you today? Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Uh, I was wondering if you could start off by uh, telling me a little bit about yourself. Sure, happy to. Um, so I'm a neurologist, uh, still practicing neurologist. I take care of patients with uh, cognitive concerns, with memory concerns, and with dementia uh, through the Walk Center, the Diana and Sydney Walk Center at Hebrew Senior Life. And in addition to that, I'm a neuroscientist at the Marcus Institute for Aging Research. And as you mentioned, a professor of neurology at Harvard Medical School. My focus in research revolves around the question of brain plasticity and how the brain, how our brain is able to cope with challenges of, of life, maintain good brain health across the lifespan. And in the course of my practice of neurology and my research, I became convinced that part of what we need is to empower individuals, to empower each of us to be able to take control, to define our brain health goals and, and pursue them. And in order to do that, I think academia exciting and, and valuable as it is to guide research and to develop research is not the best place. I think we need private ventures, we need companies to be able to to translate those insights into society and I was fortunate to partner with a number of people and, and co-found Linus Health. And obviously this is a major concern uh, for a number of reasons, but not the least of which is we have a really age, rapidly aging population. Uh, so, you know, more and more people are kind of approaching, you know, that uh, 65 and over uh, when, when these uh, issues probably become more common, correct? Yeah, that's a great point. So we we are indeed um, fortunate that thanks to the advances of uh, medicine and public health, our life expectancy has uh, significantly lengthened in the last uh, decades. But unfortunately, the life span is not parallel with an improving improving uh, health span. Um, we are in the in the challenging predicament that right now with increasing years of life, what we're largely getting for us is increasing years of disability mm. and brain-related disability is the number one cause of disability, more than cancer and cardiovascular disease together. So it is not surprising, like you said, that if you ask, if, a population of people, Saga Populus did a poll on, on 10,000 people a number of years ago, and the number one concern and fear is cognitive decline, is dementia. Mm -hmm. The brain-related concerns are the main fear for half of the people, more than, again, cancer or cardiac problems together. Um, and we fear 
we fear losing ourselves. Essentially. Yeah. We, yeah. That's you know, scary. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it happen with my mother. So, you know, uh, it's, I think a lot of people have those kinds of stories where they've, you know, they've got a personal connection to it. So, so it is indeed the case that almost all of us are touched by it because uh, touched by brain related disabilities and by dementia, because it is exceedingly common. One in mm. two people older than 85, um, are affected by cognitive decline and dementia. And of course, it, it's a type of illness that impacts not only the individual, but their family, their friends, their communities. So it is something that, that all of us are confronted with in one form or another. Absolutely. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the research that you uh, published recently in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease about the Boston process approach. What is that? Yeah, thank you for asking about that. So a number of years ago, um, the neuropsychologists in, in Boston um, introduced a concept that basically um, became known as the Boston approach and that um, argues that if you see how somebody goes about doing what they do. If you capture the process by which people are doing what they do, you get a lot more insight into their abilities than if you solely look at the end product. I think that is something that, that most of us would um, think is, is rather obvious. Mm -hmm. um, even if you know nothing about a certain job, um, I know nothing about car mechanics, but um, by looking at how a mechanic goes about figuring out what's wrong with my car, I get a sense of whether they know what they are doing or not. So the same idea applied to cognitive function. If we're able to capture in detail way how you go about drawing a clock or copying a cube or writing a sentence, we get a lot of insight into your brain's ability to solve problems, to plan, to sequence actions. And uh, traditionally, that is done by having a neuropsychologist closely watch you. Basically, a trained um, expert be taking notes as to what you're doing, in which order, with what hesitations, with what pauses. And uh, the, the research and the paper you're referring to makes the argument that technology uh, today allows us to do that in a lot better, more precise way, thanks to the precision and the, the digitization rate of drawing tablets or, or audio uh, processing, we're able to capture a lot more information about that process by which people do a certain task. And by analyzing that, we get a lot more sensitive measures of performance than if you just look at the end product. Yeah, because, uh, you know, things like the clock drawing test and, you know, uh, and some of these other tests that they've used to previously kind of assess uh, cognitive ability, they, those have been around for a long time, right? I mean, it, you know, it's, why is it taking so long to come up with sort of, you know, I guess a, a, a better way to do it? Well, the, the, the 
Clock drawing test is a very classic test. Uh, there are many other uh, classic neuropsychology tasks that like you point out. Um, in the case of the clock drawing, you ask somebody to draw a clock, make a circle uh, for the face of the clock, put in all the numbers and put the hands showing, for example, 10 past 11. Um, now, in the traditional way of scoring it, you would get one point for the face of the clock, the circle, one point for the positioning of the numbers and all the numbers being there, and one point for the hands showing the correct time. But as anyone listening can imagine, you get a lot more information by closely observing how somebody goes about doing that. If you start and stop and think and pause, if you're hesitating and self-correcting in the different aspects of the drawing, if your numbers are consistently spaced or not, if they are of the same size or not, if your hands are of the same length or not, if they're pointing exactly to the right locations, any number of, of measures would allow us to capture the process and with that give more precise scoring, as it were, of the functioning of an individual. As I say, traditionally that is done by expert trained neuropsychologists <laughs> closely watching people do the tasks, but that is cumbersome, it takes time and uh, technology allows you to solve for that challenge and in doing so get a lot of information in a very much shorter period of time so that it becomes both more sensitive and also more time efficient because you can get a lot of insight without additional personnel and even just capturing the beginning of a certain task. That particular approach for the clock drawing task was uh, developed by um, investigators at the Leahy Clinic and uh, MIT um, and, uh, and they basically uh, introduced the notion of this digital clock uh, task as, as one possible approach. Um, in the paper you were mentioning earlier, we make the argument that this notion of Boston approach applies to those kind of tasks and to others and can be applied across domains to get a different, more sensitive uh, strategy to assess people's performance. Ultimately, the goal would be to be able to capture how somebody is doing cognitively by um, extracting information of the technology that surrounds us, our clock, um, mm -hmm. drawing is an artificial task but my phone knows a lot of how I'm doing and my computer knows a lot of how I'm doing and right. when I'm in Zoom or in a conference call um, there is a lot of information that could be extracted um, without putting people on the spot for being tested by applying the same type of process uh, metrics. So how would uh, one of these uh assessments go in terms of you know what sort of as opposed to you know telling a person several words and then asking them to remember them later or doing the clock test what are you know what are sort of the techniques used uh you know to do this sort of new technological assessment yeah so 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 one way in to do it as you say is to put people quote on the spot and say i'm going to test you and ask them to do certain things and then extract the metrics 
of of everything um, that you can in terms of how they do it. So, for example, in, in the case of the clock drawing, to not simply get the final drawing as the output, but capture the eye movements while they are doing that, what things they say, um, what posture they hold, whether they move back and forth, whether they seem restless, um, how much pressure they exert on the pen when drawing, and so on. So, so multimodal metrics of a task performance. But going beyond that, is, is, uh, I was saying you could um, capture the same type of approach without putting the person on the spot of doing a task. So instead of telling you, um, Jay, please write your name and mm -hmm. capture the way you do it, whenever you happen to write your name, whenever you happen to sign something um, electronically, I can capture your scribbling and, and extract the information that way. Instead of saying, can you answer this question, I can extract information about your voice and tone and prosody by capturing when and how you're talking on the phone or, or in a conversation with me and, and get a sense not of the content but of the style, pauses, hesitations, um, emphasis that, that one puts in it. So the idea of the Boston process is to go beyond the assessment of a specific task um, approach it to ultimately capture the way one performs in day-to-day -day life, which ultimately is what we want to improve and mm. what we want to detect problems in. Um, is this being used currently or is it still something that's being you know, proposed or put together? I think at this point, uh, the, the assessments that are validated are still task-related. Mm -hmm. It's still um, asking somebody to do something. Um, so we're, we're still at that point. The vision is to go from there to measures that are progressively more and more embedded in everyday life. Um, so say, you know, in the, in the future when, uh, you know, uh, neurologists are using this these techniques, you know, what will they do with the information that they gather? Or what would you like to see them, you'd see them do? Yeah, so, so perhaps um, the, it might be worthwhile to, to clarify the way at least I've been thinking about this. I am a neurologist, but I've been thinking that, that uh, these kind of uh, assessments are particularly powerful in the hands of primary care physicians. Ah. Um, or uh, primary care providers, more broadly speaking, not in the hands of specialists. Um, so ideally what we would want is much like we get a checkup for our heart um, or, or we get our blood pressure checked before we have a diagnosis of heart disease or hypertension, um, we get assessments to prevent problems and detect them very early. In the same fashion, a brain vital sign should be captured in a regular checkup. Medicare recommends and, and in fact supports doing that as part of an annual wellness visit. And what is critical is that, that it be not just simply a score, but that it be translated in, in actionable recommendations, that, that it translates into something each one of us 
is encouraged to do to maintain our functioning or to improve on, on, on it, to prevent uh, problems. Um, that is the vision here. So to, to enable primary care providers to be able to do that sort of regular check um, and guidance of their patients so that if needed, they go see a specialist, but that it, it only be triggered to see the specialist when it really is needed and that as much as possible prevention and promotion of good brain health and reduction of the risk of disease and dementia be, be embraced. Um, how far away do you think we are from, from that being the norm? Well, um, I think that if you ask primary care providers, um, they see a number of hurdles. Um, they need tools that fit in the workflow. Mm. Um, they need to get at the point of care um, uh, clarity as to what to do with the results, not simply have a score, but, but know what to do about it. Um, but I think that is precisely what Linus Health offers, um, is to be able to, to do that. So. Um, it, um, to, to address your question, we're at the point where that should be possible. We believe it is possible. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and what, what we think is that we need to, to work towards the adoption of these approaches because it will significantly benefit not just the individual uh, person, but also society. I think it's interesting that both in the US and globally in a the, the, a consortium called LifeBrain through the Global um, Brain Health uh, Survey um, asked people um, if you were to have an illness like Alzheimer's disease um, and even if there was uh, no specific treatment, would you want to know? And 75% of people said absolutely yes, mm -hmm. which, which I think is interesting. And the reason why is because they would want to be able to plan for it. They would yeah. want to be able to um, to prepare themselves and their family and to and they would also see it as a as an impetus to quote do the right thing, to live a healthier lifestyle. So I think that that people are asking for it, are asking for this assessment, and I think we have the tools uh, to give it to them. What we need is to integrate them appropriately in the very demanding, very challenging world of primary care providers because they they need more hours than the day has. Mm -hmm. And and so the efficiency of the tools has to be paramount and is of, of huge importance. Um, what, what, wanted to get your thoughts on sort of the current tendency towards using medications to deal with dementia and Alzheimer's. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? It's a great question, Jay. I think for the better or the worse, we've we've converted a lot of chronic illnesses, dementia included, into a challenge that we can ultimately cure with the silver bullet. All we need is to find the single right medication. Um, I think that's going to be unlikely the case. Um, I, I hope it were to be the case, but, but I think more likely than not, um, for many illnesses, including Alzheimer's disease and dementia, um, we're going to need a more complex, more, more varied approach. 
where um, part of the goal is to enable people to live as fulfilling and as long a, a satisfying life as possible with the illness, if they have mm -hmm. the illness, to minimize the disability that it causes, to maximize their uh, enjoyment and interaction with others. And yes, in that setting, medications are likely and, and are already valuable and, and, and should be used. And we need more research to develop uh, better and other treatments. But I think there is a lot of other things that are important to do from social support um, to family support um, to um, caregiver uh, support uh, to addressing holistically the person. To give you just a few examples, we know that if the caregiver of somebody with dementia, of a patient of mine with dementia becomes stressed out, the morbidity and disability and mortality of my patient will increase by more than tenfold because of this feeling of being stressed that their caregiver has. So support for the caregivers is critical for the good of the patient. Mm. We know that, uh, to give you a very different example, that hearing impairment or visual impairment uh, significantly increases the risk of dementia progression and uh, increased severity, about a, a tenfold increase in that risk for each one, hearing and vision. And we know that repairing those problems with hearing aids, if indicated, with cataract surgery, if indicated, will resolve that risk. And we know that lifestyles overall, modifiable lifestyles, will account for at least 40% of the risk of progression from mild cognitive impairment to dementia. So um, there is a lot of evidence that, that it's not simply holding on for the hope of a single medication to solve all the problems, but instead addressing the person and, and her sort of support and surrounding more holistically is, is crucial. What it needs is to have those uh, approaches done with the same precision, with the same accuracy and metrics as we would do with the medication. Mm -hmm. What I mean is, it's not sufficient to recommend you should exercise or you should sleep well, but just like with the medication, it needs to be a prescription. It right. needs to be, Jay, this is the type of exercise done this way you need to do, and this is how we're going to check to see whether or not if it's translating in what we want, which is that you have less cognitive problems. That, that sort of approach, I think, is what, what is needed and is what at Linus Health we're, we're committing to, to offer. Primary care providers need that to be able to take care of their patients properly, we, we think. Well, doctor, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This has been great. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for, for your support and interest. And, and hopefully people will, will find this of, of value. I think there is a, a real need we have as a society to address this. The, the World Health Organization has pointed out that brain health related issues are the single most dangerous threat to human society, um, and uh, and yet I think we have the opportunity to to really address them. But it requires a coordinated effort of scientists, clinicians, public health officials, and the public in general. So thank you. All right, absolutely. Thank you.
That wraps up episode 62 of PSQH, the podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at psqh.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Thanks again, and stay safe.